Well, I'm Pastor Evan. I'm delighted to be here this morning. I'm delighted that you're here this morning. It's been a good morning so far. Um, Let's begin by quieting our hearts before we hear from the word this morning and just allow God to speak into this place. So call on the Lord in your silence, if you would. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. That is, in fact, the text for the day. Psalm 19, 14. Um, And if you're following along, we'll be in Psalm 19 this morning, so I encourage you to find it. We'll come back to the text in a moment. Um, Over these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about prayer, and we'll continue talking about prayer uh, going forward for the next few weeks. Many of you have broken up into groups where you're praying on a weekly basis, once a week together, uh, to really work on listening to the Lord. And in fact, that's what we heard a couple weeks ago. Patty Thompson came and spoke and talked about listening, uh, preaching from 1 Samuel, where we see Samuel uh, give us some very instructive words. When God speaks, he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I'd encourage every time you open up God's word, those are great words to pray. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So we were talking about listening. Last week, uh, Brother Schwarting brought to us uh, the idea of two kingdoms, that quite often when we enter into prayer, it's easy to enter into that earthly kingdom praying, which is not bad, but perhaps we need to transcend a little bit more to heavenly kingdom prayer, that God is in fact doing more, and quite often we're praying for things that God has already given us. We're asking for stuff we already have access to if we're disciples of Jesus Christ. This week we're building on that, and over the next two weeks, uh, really these two sermons go hand in hand. Today we're talking about meditation, don't be scared off by the word, meditation and meditating on God's word. Now, as I say a couple of these next lines, uh, probably you'll know the product or can complete the sentence, right? So the best part of waking up is, Folgers in your cup, some of you know that, right? That hasn't been used in a while, I don't think, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh what a... Relief it is, or you could use the, the current one, you know, nausea, heartburn, indigestion, and so on. Uh, you guys know where rice comes from, probably. San Francisco, right? With a name like Smuckers, it has to be good, right? Even the other day, I was sitting there with my kids singing, and it just, it wasn't even thinking about it, singing the Oscar Mayer Wiener song, right? It's catchy. Did you know that without realizing it, we often meditate on things regularly? We often have things that that internalize within us. They lock inside of us. And even if we didn't choose to, they're working on us. I mean, that's what marketing is trying to do, right? They're trying to to tell us what our desires ought to be or should be or whatever. And there can be good and there can be bad, of course, that comes along with that. But we're meditating on things constantly, whether we want to admit it or not. And the truth of the matter is, what you let in shapes who you become. What you let in shapes who you become. And so, for instance, I like all things sweet. I like donuts especially. I believe they're the highest form of bread. But if I eat a lot of them, it changes my complexion, doesn't it? And I've been working on that recently. We know that smoking profoundly affects your health. I have a friend uh, I grew up with uh, just down the block from me. Uh, both of his parents smoked multiple packs a day. By the time he got to, uh, to junior high, it was hard to go a couple months without him getting sick. It had a profound effect, even secondhand smoke, 
on his life. We know that our schedules can have a profound effect on our life. Uh, what we say yes to means we're saying no to something else. Consequently, when we say no, might mean we say yes to something else. And even having a jam-packed schedule can affect us because we, when it's not jam-packed, we don't feel important. And what it is, we feel very important. It can affect us. What we let in shapes who we become. And of course, we definitely know, although sometimes we ignore, that what we see and what we watch profoundly affects us. And I was reminded this week of the, the wonderful story of the, uh, the boy, 12-year-old boy, talking to his mom. And he says, Mom, I want to, my friends are going to go see a movie. They want to go see it tonight. It's rated R. So either you or dad will have to help us get in. Um, it's a good movie. It's just got some bad stuff in it. And so mom says, you know what? You've got to go to school. Let's have this conversation when you come home. So when he comes home, mom has baked brownies. She says, let's sit down and have a conversation about this movie you want to go see over these brownies. He says, wonderful. She says, one thing. I went to the backyard and collected a little dog poop and put it in the brownies. There's just a little bit of poop in them. Would you like to eat the brownies? Folks, what we let in shapes who we become, and sometimes we've been eating too many of those brownies. We really have. We've been letting too much of that in, and it it works on us without realizing it. And what I want to point out to you today, and where we're going to go with this idea of meditation is, if you think this is the only sermon you're going to hear this week, you're wrong, because we're preached at all the time about what we ought to believe, and who we ought to be, and who we're not, and who we should become. Constantly, we're bombarded by these things. And I'm going to point out that as good as a 5, 10, or 15 minute devotional in the morning can be, it is not enough for the onslaught of messages that come at us. And and what I want to say is this. Those things are good. Those things are crucial and important disciplines to have. But when we're talking about prayer, we need to internalize the word and make it a part of who we are. Not simply a little part of our day. Because quite often those little things that we do, the 5, 10, 15 minute devotionals and the short prayer times, those are incredibly important, but they can fit in the category of what I'd call inspirational moments. They are the things. Inspiration is good. It gets you up. It gets you moving. It's the reason people invent things, right? They have an inspirational moment. But what we need is not inspirational in our lives. What we need is transformational. We need transformational moments. We need something that's going to alter who we are from the inside out and change us. And so when we hear this word meditation, I'll give a little more framing and definition to it in a moment. But when we hear this, one of the ways that in Christian history this has been spoken of for a long time is to ruminate on Scripture. Those of you that have ever been around cows, uh, you might have heard that term, or at least part of that term, because a cow, and we were talking about this in confirmation a couple weeks ago, and had to ask Siri, how many stomachs does a cow have? Four, as it turns out. Four stomachs. They eat, and the food that they eat is coarse, and for some of you, this is review information, I'm sure. It goes into the rumen, it goes into the reticulum, it comes back out, and then they're chewing on it again. What are they chewing on? The cud, right? 
And the reason they're chewing on the cud is because they're trying to get the maximum nutrition out of this rough food. The, the reticulum has broken it down, and the, the rumen have broken it down. Now they're breaking it down more. It goes back into the last two, the omasum and the ob- obamasum. Uh, first time I've said those words, I think. And then it, it's fully absorbed. It becomes either milk in a cow, or it gets absorbed into their, the nutrition, into who they are. That's what we're supposed to do with Scripture. We, we actually should be meditating on it that way, to ruminate on it, to get the full nutritional value out of it. We need to take it in and make it part of who we are. And so when we meditate on God's word, we are simply putting on the mind of God. We're simply discovering who God is so that we can be, become more like Jesus Christ. To meditate, the reason that it sometimes scares us in the Christian world is because we think of Eastern meditation, which is to empty yourself of all things. And indeed, if you know Hinduism or Buddhism, those, the ideas within those is where we get that from, that you would want to become part of the force that's very Star Wars-y, that's the derivative of where Star Wars comes from, that we become part of this impersonal force that's out there. So, of course, you want to completely empty yourself so you can be part of that. In Christianity, we've been using meditation for an awfully long time. It's really kind of our word. We don't mean to empty yourself. We mean to fill yourself with the things of God. That's what, Chris, that's what we're talking about in meditation and meditating on God's word. Richard Foster says it well. He says, Christian meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. We're taking that in as fully and completely as we can. And I think it's crucial. A modern way that we might kind of come about what's going on in meditation is, is a, a less positive term, I would suggest. We use the word obsession an awful lot. I hear it an awful lot within our culture. To obsess about something, which is to be really preoccupied with something almost to an unhealthy extent. I'm obsessed about this and will obsess about something for two, three, four weeks, months, whatever it might be. And then we move on to the next thing. And I point that out because... That might help you understand what we're talking about with meditation. It's, it's to dwell on it. But you can do that negatively. So we have to be careful. We want to do this positively. We want to do this well to take in the things of God that they become a part of who we are. Interestingly, using it in a negative way, you can see that in Lamentations. And this is the same word. It'll give us a nuance of what's going on. Lamentations 3.61 says, Lord, you have heard their insults and all their plots against me. What my enemies whisper and mutter... That's meditate. To mutter is is kind of the same idea, over and over and over and over, to get the point. They mutter against me all day long. So you can meditate on something that's going to be to your uh, destruction. That's going to be bad for you. That's going to be bad for others. But we want to meditate. We want to take in Scripture to the fullest extent and meditate on God's Word so that we're transformed into the very image of God that's been broken by sin. Personally, in my life, this has been modeled for me over the years. I, I feel blessed that I've had family members, parents, grandparents who have modeled for me what meditating on God's word looks like. To memorize God's word is really what this looks like in shorthand, to take it in. Uh, but that doesn't always mean that I've been a good example of doing it in my life. It could be modeled for us, and we might not do it. I, I remember the, one of the first times I really tried it. I had memorized scripture growing up, but I really tried it. Uh, to take it in, I was working at Covenant Bible College about 17 years ago. I was living in the dorm with uh, a kind of a pastor slash dorm dad, sometimes janitor, but that wasn't the job description. And, um, and I remember working with the students and being exceptionally troubled by a few of the situations that we had, so much so that I was starting to lose sleep. 
night after night. I was losing sleep. And I'd been reading the Psalms in a devotional that I was doing, and I just was up one night, and I said, well, why don't I just memorize one of these things? And so I started memorizing this Psalm. And it had nothing to do specifically with that situation or the situations that were going on, but just the the fact that I was essentially putting on the mind of God and beginning to internalize the word, it began to work on me. And it began to re-alter my focus. And I remember thinking, "This this is a good practice. And I've since taken it on much more. Part of the goal when we do this, when we take in God's word, to meditate on it, to internalize it, and and here when I say this meditate, just here memorize right now as we talk about it. When we take it in, one of my uh, favorite authors on prayer, Matthew the Poor, uh, a monk of Egypt who passed away a few years ago, he says we're supposed to become a divine treasury of God's word. That's what we're trying to do. That within us, that what would come out of us then is God's word in action. That's the attitude, that's the pace of life at which we would walk. And I'm struck by those people that I've watched model this well, how they in fact do that, that their actions and their words reflect what's written in God's word and God's mind. And as you look in Christian history, when you read certain authors throughout Christian history, that you can find some, uh, St. Augustine is the one that comes to mind, you read some of his stuff and it's just replete with scripture. Every other sentence is just another reference or behind the text is a reference. Why? Because they internalized it. They made it a part of who they were. And so what we're doing, I'm going to give you two things. They're both I words that we're doing when we meditate on God's word. And I'm going to give you a little walk you through how I did it this week. I decided to do what I'm preaching to you, and it brought me a tremendous amount of joy to do. I tried not to hit the commentaries very hard at all. I barely touched them this week. I really tried to just let God's word sit within me and to meditate on God's word. So when we take it in like this, when we memorize and then uh, uh, to actually meditate on God's word, the first thing we're doing is to let God's word indwell us. To just come in, and what we're going to see when we do that is we're going to notice new details, and we're going to discover the truth. We'll discover an awful lot of lies that way too. Things we thought were true, or that we believed for whatever reason, but then we start to see the actual truth. And so this week I, was, I memorized Psalm 1914 because it uses the word meditate. It's a very familiar word. It was very easy to memorize. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it would be quite easy to look at that and say, okay, great, I memorized that and move on. But as I let it sit, as I let it indwell, as I went over it over and over and over, details start to come out. I would normally not pay attention much to my rock and my redeemer. That seems like it could go anywhere in scripture, but why does David put it here? Why does he end Psalm 19 with my rock and my redeemer? Maybe now I need to look at the text. So that's what I did. I took the time to read it out loud. I took the time to physically write it down. This is how we can memorize these things. Don't type it if you're going to try this. That doesn't work. Pen and paper matters in this process. I spoke it aloud. I read it off the page. And then I read the whole psalm in context, numerous times, day after day, to try and get the full meaning of the text. And I don't think I even scratched the surface, but my rock and my redeemer, what is David saying in the text? If you go back to to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19, he says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands." 
Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. And he goes on, he talks about the sun. He's talking about the patterns of what God has created. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're reading about the physical rock that we're standing on. We're reading about creation itself, which is what he's alluding to here at the very beginning. As you read it over and over, you also notice that he's putting a giant exclamation point there. That's why it's a little smaller and spelled out like this. The heavens declare, the skies proclaim. You see that? The glory, the work of God, of his hands. You see this parallelism. Day after day, night after night, they pour, they reveal, forth speech, knowledge. It's, it's a textual exclamation point the way he's pointing this out. He's saying the same thing twice to reemphasize the point. This is my rock that he's talking about. God has physically created. God, in his grace, has given us life. We don't deserve it. We were given it as a gift. God has given us the patterns of the world, the way the sun moves, or we move around the sun, and we rotate on the earth, and all that we see around us, the fact that we're able to exchange air and, and even have air in the first place. That's God's grace at work. Day after day, the heavens declare God's goodness. Are we seeing this, what God has given us? The physical rock, of, if nothing else. And it's God's faithfulness exhibited day after day, over and over for us. In this, we can discover some truth about who God is, about what God's done. Furthermore, then, David goes on And when you go down to verse 7, he transitions. Okay, we've covered creation itself, the the rock we're standing on, but that doesn't quite cover my rock and my redeemer. He goes on and he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And he keeps going through. He talks about laws, statutes, precepts, commands, fear of the Lord, decrees. So God's given us the actual, the firmament, the rock that we're standing on. We can discover something about the truth that way. But God's given us a way to navigate and understand what it means that we would have life. And what it means to then live in this, on this rock and have a relationship with the creator who made the rock. That we would, we would know how to exist in that truth what truth really is. And so he doesn't just say the law and the statutes and the precepts, but he gives qualities to those. These are the things that really tell us the truth. They're perfect, they're trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm. These are the things that are going to give direction, that are going to reveal the truth. Because we can see what God's created and come to the wrong conclusion. But when all of a sudden he gives us a reason behind it, we can begin to come to the correct conclusion, the word of the Lord comes to us and it's powerful to transform my rock and my redeemer that's to let the text indwell we begin to discover those different details we begin to discover the truth along the way it in my early uh, years in ministry i was a hospital chaplain for a short while i've told you some stories from those days um I remember this was one patient I got to visit very short window of time, uh, but very impactful to me. It was a, a young high schooler suicide attempt. Um, and because of this attempt, it was a second or third attempt. Um, she was probably going to be paralyzed for the rest of her life. And it was one that it was, it was very difficult because she had, uh, we knew one of the three helicopter pilots in the Chicago area who responded to the call to tell you how many people this affected. Three medical helicopters were called in 
it was a big deal when this happened. And I remember being called to her room. And you could tell that she was really looking for something. She's obviously looking for meaning, for value, for purpose, for truth. And she looked at the Bible in a room and she just started reading it from Genesis. And I remember coming into her room and sitting down after a little conversation. She didn't have much conversation to give. And she said, can you just read the Bible to me? And that was about it. And I remember she was in Exodus at the plagues of Egypt by that point. And we read maybe three, four chapters before she, she tired out. Striving. Trying to find the truth. And that's not the only story that we hear. Plenty of us have heard stories or even experienced stories where we're looking for meaning and value and purpose and truth. And we open up the pages of scripture and we begin to scratch the surface of that. And we begin to find it. And that's what she was doing. She was beginning to scratch the surface to find that. But what happens to us when we let the word get in a little deeper and begin to indwell who we are? To become a divine treasury of God's word. That's the point at which transformation begins. So I'm going to give you the next I word in a moment here, but I want to point this out. If you're living a life where you're already at peak contentment and it can't get any better, then don't go to the next step. If you're at a point where you're content with the level of injustice in the world and you think it's probably not going to get worse, it'll only get better from here, don't go on. If you're at a point where the various truths are competing within your life and you're pretty content with the fight over those truths within your life, don't move on to the next point. Um, If you're happy with good enough and not best, definitely don't go on. Uh, If you uh, are okay with uh, the way things are often legal but not ethical in our world, and sometimes we're a problem with that, we're part of that, that's, you know, don't move on any further. And if you're content with death having the final word, you definitely don't want to move on to the next step, I'm going to tell you. But if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not at peak contentment in life, things could be better. You know what? I hate injustice, and I want God to put things right, and I want to be a part of that. Um, if you're thinking that God does have, in fact, a best that's better than now out there for you, and if you're tired of death having the final word, then don't just start with the first step of letting the text indwell you. Let it interpret you so that you could be transformed. The fancy word we would typically use is, uh, is exegete you. Uh, that's what the biblical nerds would use. But not being one of those, I used I words. Uh, to indwell and interpret. And when you let the text interpret you, that's where transformation comes. When all of a sudden the text is reading you, you're not reading the text anymore. That's where you realize you're actually never alone because God is with you. When you let the text interpret you because you've internalized it, you've taken it in and you're ruminating on it, you're chewing on it, to get the full value from it. That's when you're ready for God's action because you already see it coming. You know it's on the way and you can spot it on the move. Matthew the Poor, this monk I've, I've mentioned to you, he says, in patristic tradition, that's the 300s to the 500s AD, these are my people. In patristic tradition, the usage of meditation, he says, was confined to the way in which the mind and heart were diligently handed over to the word of God. Can you do that this morning? 
handed over to the word of God. We're no longer in control at that point. We hear the text. May these words in my mouth and this meditation in my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we move on to that second word, that redeemer word, and we keep in mind that we're talking about the truth and God's truth, and especially God revealing how to navigate this world, he gives the law, it's perfect. That is God's ways. That's how we understand that. And God has given us a way to navigate the world with him. What happens when the truth doesn't stick? When, when we don't let it really come in and be part of who we are? When we want to live by our own rules and our own ways? Well, sin and evil abound is what happens, and we lose the mind of God. That's what, that's what goes on when we don't let the truth stick, when we don't see it for what it really is. And when we talk about even this word redeemer, this word becomes a problem for many of us because we have to ask the question, what is there in me that needs to be redeemed? Sometimes we do think we're at peak contentment. We do think things are good enough. We do think things are okay. And we gloss over the things that are sinful, that need to be fixed, that are the opposite of what God wants. What is it in me, what is it in you, that needs to be redeemed today? The psalmist has a word for this. In verses 12 and 13, David says, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Can you pray that this morning? Forgive my hidden faults. The psalmist goes on, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. What needs to be redeemed in us? When we hand ourselves over to the text, this is God giving himself to us in the text. When we hand ourselves over to the text, to the word, we give over control. We give over our will. We give over our desires. But we get with that the truth. We get with that the mind of God. And we get with that the presence of God. And we're going to begin to come to different conclusions about what God has given us. And we're going to discover that we need the discipline of God's ways in order to discern how to live in this world and do his will and how to be wise in the ways of God. I would suggest to you that meditation is very clearly prayer. We're very clearly in that territory where we desire to be in communion with God, which is what we're doing in prayer. It's to put on the mind of God, to meditate on his word. Now this week and next week's message, they're really two sides of the same coin. We're talking about meditation this week, which I would suggest is kind of the inhale process. This is a degree of prayer. This is a component of prayer. To inhale God's word. To take in God's goodness, God's mystery, the mind of God, who God is. Next week, we're going to talk about contemplation, which is really kind of in the same category. That's, that's more of the exhale. It's getting rid of the carbon dioxide that's within us. It's getting rid of that stuff, and it's also seeing what God stirs in the soul that moves us towards repentance and obedience because we've taken in God's word. The desire with both movements is that we move from inspiration to transformation, 
that something has changed and altered because we've taken in God's word. Now, I'm going to have a challenge for you in just a moment about taking in God's word and about meditating on scripture for your week ahead. But I just want to give this uh, word of testimony at the end that when I came to you four and a half years ago, that's the first time I'd come as a senior pastor at a place where I have to preach every week. And you discover very quickly that Sunday comes every week. And it comes very quickly every week. It seems like it's faster sometimes and sometimes it's slower, but it's always there, ever faithful, 1030 on Sunday morning. And when I first was doing this, I, I love preaching. This is one of the things I absolutely love in life. I love it. But uh, in those early days, I wanted to do it really well. I still do, but I wanted to do it really well, and I put a lot of energy into it, a lot of time, way too much time, way too much energy into certain components that, that really didn't amount to much and meant longer sermons. Sorry. <laughs> what I've discovered along the way is that I need to let the text indwell me and interpret me better rather than just research it, rather than just study the text, but really become a part of who I am. And it used to be that I'd kind of get to the end of the week, I'd take Fridays off, I'd take Friday and it would be off, but I'd still be worried about the message. You know, you'd come back on Sunday and you'd tinker with it a little bit. It was done by then, but you'd you'd kind of mess with it a little bit more. Now, now I've come to a point or because I've changed the approach I have to the text, I come to Friday, and it is a glorious day, not simply because I'm trying to take some Sabbath and some, some time like that, but because all of a sudden I have a 24-hour break between when I stopped working on the sermon, I don't pick it right back up on Saturday morning, but I have this break where the Word is working in me. And I'm, I'm letting it work in me during that time. I'm not working on the sermon, I'm not putting it together, I'm not sitting with pen to paper or doing any of that, but it really is working in me and any changes I would make on Saturday are because the word had become more personal, not because I studied it more in a commentary. And it's really a glorious thing. And I will tell you this the more I've taken in Scripture and meditated on it, I'm challenged, I'm encouraged, I am never disappointed. I've never come away from taking in Scripture and meditating on it and thought, boy, that was a complete waste of time. Right? I've watched things that I've thought that was a complete waste of time and shut them off early. I've, I've eaten things that I've thought that I've done a lot of things. I'm sure you have too that I thought that was a real waste of time. Never. Never ever. Do I come away from meditating on scripture saying, boy, that was time poorly spent. It's always time well spent. I'm always better for it. And I, I hear and I've said even in the past in my own life, sometimes we don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I'm going to suggest this is a great entry point. When you let the word indwell you and interpret you, you're putting on the mind of God. You're beginning the process of moving from prayer that goes beyond just simple requests. Those are good. But much further in your relationship with God and who God is and what God is asking of you and your communion with God. So my challenge for you is simple enough this week. I'm going to challenge you to actually pick a passage and memorize. We don't think we can memorize things. I hear people say this. I've heard people say this all throughout my ministry. I just went through a whole bunch of things at the beginning of the service you had memorized that you didn't even want memorized. You're choosing this. I would ask you to memorize something this week. Maybe for some of you it's out of Mark. It's Jesus wept. Go for it. I don't think, I don't think you'll be disappointed, by the way, if you really meditated on it. Why did Jesus weep? Would I weep for the same thing? You're going to be thrown into some some thoughts. 
Pick a passage. There are some recommended in the small group questions this week. They all have to do with meditating. You can go well beyond that. If you're totally stumped, talk to me. I'll help you. Pick a passage. Memorize it. Now, remember what I said. Write it down. Read it out loud. Don't type it. That doesn't help you. But write it down. You speak it. Use as many senses as possible as you can to get it inside. If you want, if you even walked by my office door, I wrote it on a post-it note at one point this week, stuck it on my post-it note on the door, so that when I walk into the office, it reminds me, okay, I better say this again in my head. I don't need to look at the note, I just need to see that it's there. Put reminders on your dashboard, all around your office, in your locker, whatever it is, to memorize it this week. And don't shortchange yourself. We can memorize awfully long things. I did 17 verses two years ago, and it took me a week. It was not hard. It just took time. And I'm better for it. Breathe it in. Breathe it in. Keep it as close as possible. For as long as possible. And the beautiful thing about taking and meditating on Scripture is, when you're on the phone talking to somebody, you can do it. When you're sitting in a meeting, you can do it. When you're in your office, you can do it. You don't need a book in front of you. You don't need anything else. You can just do it. And that makes the process better. The more you do it, it can be done anywhere all the time. That's my challenge. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, may in fact the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May we take in your word this week. May we meditate on your mind given to us, your revealed word, who you are, your character at work. May we take that inside of us and allow it to work on us, that we would be transformed into your image. God, those parts of us that have been so marred by sin and its effects, that we don't even realize it, will you reveal those to us in the process? Those parts of us that are far from your mind, but need to be drawn close, will you bring us into your presence so we can taste and see that you are indeed good? Can we experience your shalom as we experience your word this week. Father, grant us the privilege of being in your presence and communing with you because you've given us the gift of your word. Let us not take that for granted, but take it in and let it be a joy in our lives that we would be closer to you at the end of this week because we took in your word. We pray this all in your name. Amen.